0: your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4, and this time we're going to dismiss our children to Children's Church, so if you have little kids who are pre-K through third grade, you can meet in the back for Children's Church. Well, it's good to be back with you in the pulpit. We were here worshiping with you in the congregation last week, but we spent uh, about two and a half weeks in California visiting family, uh, some of whom are watching online this morning, and we watch the service every week in Santa Barbara from Uh, mom and dad brown's living room and so it works and uh, everyone could be heard well 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 done good job tech guys and so it's good to be back with you we jump into galatians chapter four we're going to read verses 21 through chapter five verse one this is god's word tell me you who desire to be under the law do you not listen to the law For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Who has a husband. Now, you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, We are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This is God's word. Let's go to him in prayer. Oh, Lord, our God, I pray that you would enlighten our minds that we might understand your scriptures. I pray, Lord God, that you would give us all that we need from your word, that you might equip us for every good work, draw us closer to one another and to you. And Lord, may I speak your words to your glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you like roller coasters? Anyone? A few of you? I love roller coasters. My wife, Kate, loves roller coasters. My children, Lily and Jack, love roller coasters. And so, armed with our love of roller coasters, and perhaps not armed with common sense, or a proper uh, concern for our physical safety, We took our entire family to Six Flags Magic Mountain in Valencia, California. Here are some of the pictures of the rides that we took. Now, of all the rides that we rode, we rode the Revolution and the Ninja and the Viper. The ride that we rode, you go back to the first one. We'll go back to the first picture. Of all the rides we rode, the most scary ride that we rode was this one called the Riddler's Revenge, which is the tallest, fastest, longest stand-up roller coaster in the world. Now, it starts out like this with you ascending 130 feet into the air. And it makes all those little clicking noises along the way. The click, 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 click. And then this happens. Here's the next one. A drop where you go from 0 to 70 miles an hour in approximately 3 seconds. And then there's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. It insane the speed the loops the g-forces it goes so fast that you can't even scream (laughs) it literally takes your breath away now also a little bit of free advice if you ever take your family to Six Flags Magic Mountain in Valencia California don't eat a chicken salad Fifteen minutes before going on the Riddler's Revenge. Just trust me, it is not a pleasant experience. Now, why would I spend the first five minutes of this sermon talking about roller coasters and the Riddler's Revenge? Because when I opened the Bible on Monday morning, my first Monday morning back from vacation... I felt almost the same way as I felt reading this passage as I did boarding the Riddler's Revenge. I thought to myself, why am I doing this? Why didn't I make Pastor David preach on this passage? Why didn't I make our missionary friend Scott preach on this? We probably won't see him again for three or four years. And yet... As I studied this passage, as scared as I was about explaining the story of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Ishmael and the covenants and the cities and the mountains, I also found myself thrilled. This passage is amazing, it is as exciting as it is terrifying. And if we just skip over this, like a rock skipping over the surface of the waters, we'll miss the climax of Paul's theological argument, the heart of the second part of the book of Galatians. We'll miss the thrill of seeing Paul connect the dots between Abraham and Sarah and Jesus and the church we'll miss the freedom that we have in christ we'll miss the joy of redemption we'll miss the good news that jesus gives us a new history and a new identity and a new family and a new destiny all of that is in the closing verses of galatians chapter four so where do we begin if you're taking notes this morning here's our outline First, we're going to look at the story, the story of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and Isaac and Ishmael. Then we're going to look at the story behind the story. Paul says that this passage can be interpreted allegorically. These two women represent two different mountains, two different cities, two different covenants, and ultimately, two very different ways of relating to God. And finally, we're going to look at the story behind the story behind the story. We're going to consider the application. We're going to wonder, how is how is it That freedom is so much better than slavery. How is gospel faith so much better than legalistic religion? History, allegory, application. The story, the story behind the story, and the story behind the story behind the story. Let's take a closer look. We begin with the story. Verse 21, Paul writes, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, here's the story from Genesis 16, 17, and 21. About a month ago, we talked about God's special covenant with Abraham. And we said that a covenant is a legally binding agreement that defines the relationship of two or more people. So a legally binding agreement that defines the relationship of two or more people. Do you remember that? If not, just nod and pretend you do. It helps me with my self-image here that you remember everything I say. Now, a covenant can be of two kinds. A covenant can be a covenant of works, which is all about what we do for God. Or a covenant can be a covenant of grace, which is all about what God does for us. And so the question is, what kind of covenant did God make with Abraham? if you read it and consider the covenant you will find that god's covenant with abraham is a textbook example of a covenant of grace in the abrahamic covenant god made unconditional promises to abraham he said i will give you a son he said i will make you a great and mighty nation I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the skies. I will be your God, and you will be my people. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And when you sin, and you will, I will forgive you time after time after time. Abraham then ratified the covenant by cutting a series of animals in half to represent the consequences of breaking the covenant. And then, in a stunning reversal, God himself walked through the pieces. God himself took the covenant curses upon himself, first symbolically and ultimately literally, when Jesus died on the cross in our place. Having lived the perfect life, the life that we should have lived, and died the death that we deserve to die, Jesus, the only perfect covenant keeper, died in the place of covenant breakers like you and me. That's the gospel. Because Jesus fulfilled all the covenant promises of God and took the covenant sanctions upon himself, all that's left for us are the blessings of eternal life, the blessings of joy and peace and abundant life. We are saved, my friends, by grace through faith in Jesus, our covenant-keeping king. Amazing. Back to the story of Abraham. Now, you would think that if Abraham is the man of faith, the father of faith, that he would be a very patient person. You would think that Abraham would be more than willing to wait for years and years and years for God to keep his promises. You would be wrong. Abraham, like many of us, didn't want to wait for God to keep his promises. Abraham, like many of us, believed that God helps those who helped help themselves. And so Abraham, like many of us, took matters into his own hands. Sarah, Abraham's wife, perhaps sensing Abraham's impatience with God and his promises, came up with a plan of her own. She said, listen, Abraham, you're not getting any younger and I'm not getting any younger. And if we don't have a baby right away, like yesterday, there's no way that God could ever fulfill his promises. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into my servant Hagar. I want you to sleep with her. She'll conceive. She'll bear a child. I'll adopt the child. And that child will be the son of the providence. And all of our, all, all of our problems will be solved. Now, what could possibly go wrong with that plan except literally everything could go wrong with that plan? Abraham went along with it. He slept with Hagar. She conceived, and nine months later, a little baby boy was born, a boy named Ishmael. Now, the question is, would Ishmael be the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham? Would Ishmael be the great patriarch of the modern nation of Israel? Well, the answer is no. God said, this is not how this works. That's not how any of this works. You can't short-circuit my plan. I'm going to do the impossible. I'm going to give Sarah, this older, barren woman who's well beyond the age of childbearing, I'm going to give her a son, even though she's old, even though she's barren, because nothing can stop the promises of God. That was true 4,000 years ago, and it's still true today. God always keeps his promises. God is always faithful. God is always gracious. Now, sometimes God takes a little bit longer than we think that he should take. Sometimes we say, God, give me patience, and I want it right now. But our God is a promise-making, promise Keeping God. Abraham and Sarah conceived. They had a son and they named him Isaac, which means laughter, because they laughed at the promises of God. First in derision and then in delight. What an amazing story! The Bible is so incredible. Here is the point that Paul's making. Ishmael was born because Abraham and Sarah doubted the promises of God. Isaac was born because Abraham and Sarah believed the promises of God. Ishmael represents what happens when, when we try to do things for God, to earn his favor, to earn his blessing. Isaac represents what God Has done for us. The blessings he lavishes. Upon all who believe. Because of God's faithfulness. Abraham became the father. Of every single person. Who believes the promises of God. And Sarah. Became the mother. Of every single person. Who receives. The grace of God. That's the story. The question is. Is it your story? Do you believe the promises of God? Do you believe that you are who God says you are? Do you believe that you're chosen? Do you believe that you're loved? Do you believe that you're forgiven? Do you believe that you are blessed beyond anything that you could ever ask or imagine? I think so often we struggle in the Christian life because we fail to believe the promises of God. We fail to believe that we are who God says that we are. In some instances, it almost seems like it's too good to be true. How could I be an adopted son or daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? And yet scripture reminds us time and time again that you are You are a son or daughter of a king. Not because of your ethnicity, not because of your performance, but because God is gracious and God is good. The story of Abraham and Sarah and Ishmael and Isaac and Hagar shows us that God always takes care of us. God always keeps his promises. When God speaks his final word, is always grace to everyone who believes. That leads us to the story behind the story. Verse 24. Now this may be interpreted allegorically or symbolically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia she corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children children but the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother now what paul is saying here is that there are ultimately two ways of relating to god two very different and opposite ways of relating to god Hagar represents the covenant of works. She represents Mount Sinai where God gave the law, the 10 commandments to Moses. In a sense, she represents what the Judaizers, the false teachers were teaching the Galatians. They were teaching the Galatians that first you believe in Jesus, second you obey the commandments of God, and third, you will have the blessings of eternal life in Christ. Sarah represents the covenant of grace. She represents Mount Zion. She represents the place where David built the temple. She represents the place where God delivered Isaac when Abraham brought him up to the mountain to sacrifice him, and God provided a substitute who would die in place of Abraham's son. Sarah represents what Paul taught the Galatians. First you believe in Jesus, then you are saved, and then you keep the law. Not because you have to keep the law, but because you want to keep the law, because you're so overwhelmed by the grace of God that it overflows in a life of obedience and gratitude and joy. Hagar represents the law. Sarah represents the gospel. Hagar represents works-based religion. Sarah represents grace-based Christianity. Hagar represents the earthly city of Jerusalem. Sarah represents the heavenly city of Jerusalem. Hagar represents achieving, while Sarah represents receiving. Isaac, the child of the free woman, is the child of the promise, while Ishmael, the son of the slave woman, is the child of compromise. Hagar's, chil- Hagar's children are slaves because we can never do enough to earn our salvation. Sarah's children are free because Jesus did everything that needed to be done to earn our salvation. If you're a child of Hagar, if you're doing your best to try to earn God's favor favor. Through your good works, if you're basing your identity on anything other than Jesus, if you're saying, I will find meaning and purpose in my career, in my family, in my wife, in my children, in my cars, in my clothes, you will be fragile. You'll be weak. You'll lack self assurance and self confidence. You'll be anxious. You'll be destroyed by criticism. If, however, you are a child of Sarah, you can rest. You can relax. You can enjoy life knowing that Jesus did everything to reconcile you to God. If you're a child of Hagar, you'll be fragile. If you're a child of Sarah, you will be unbreakable. There is a vast difference between do and done. Legalism brings slavery and misery. The gospel of Jesus Christ brings freedom and joy. And so the question to all of us, the question prompted by this allegorical understanding of the story is, who is your mother? Are you a child of Sarah? Are you a child of the promise? Or are you a child of Hagar? Are you a child of compromise? Are you a child of legalism? Are you a slave or are you free? Are you, is your identity in Christ or is it in anything else in the world? Are you who the world says you are? Or are you who Jesus says you are? big difference that leads us to the story behind the story behind the story verse 27 for it is written rejoice O barren one who does not bear break forth and cry aloud you who are not in labor for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, But of the free woman, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Here's the practical application of this here is what happens in your life when you embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's what happens in your life when you have faith in the God who always keeps his promises. When you embrace Jesus as your Lord and Savior, short-term pain and long-term gain. In the short term, following Jesus is a difficult thing to do. There's the pain of persecution. Paul points out that Ishmael's will always persecute Isaac's. The spiritual children of Hagar always have contempt for the spiritual children of Sarah. Sadly, it has been happening for thousands and thousands of years. It happens to the Galatian Christians, and it will happen to you. If you will embrace Jesus in our culture, if you say, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, you will experience uh, persecution. People will misunderstand you. People will marginalize you. People will belittle you. People will dismiss you, exclude you. You might get canceled. You might get passed over for promotions. You might fail to get tenure. You might be called a bigot or a misogynist or a homophobe. People will say that you're ignorant. People will say that you don't believe in science or nature or some things like this. I've heard it. I'm sure you have, too. It happens. It's very, very minor compared with what our brothers and sisters around the world experience day after day. If you were a Christian in places like China or Cuba or places in the Middle East, you might be arrested. You might be uh, bankrupted. You might even be killed. It's terrible. Paul doesn't really address this, the psychological aspects of it in this text, but there's the pain of humbling yourself before God. That's painful. There's the pain of confessing your sins. There's the pain of losing control of your life. There's the pain of saying, Jesus, there's nothing you cannot ask me to do. There is nowhere you cannot ask me to go. That's painful. Turning the other cheek. Going the extra mile, loving your enemies, praying for those who persecute you, that's hard. That is a spiritual battle that we fight every single day. But no matter what the persecution looks like, the short-term pain of following Jesus Christ pales in comparison to the long-term gain of following Jesus Christ. The gospel gives us a new history. We are, according to verse 29, born of the Spirit. To be a Christian is to be born again. To be a Christian is to be regenerated. When you become a Christian, God rewrites your life story. You're a new person. You have a new beginning. You can grow. You can change. You are not defined by all of the sins that you've committed in thought, in word, in deed. You are defined by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are defined by the love of Christ. We're born again with a new history. Our sinful record is replaced by the perfect permanent record of Of Jesus Christ. Now, not only does the gospel give us a new history, the gospel gives us a new identity. Because of Jesus, we're no longer slaves, we're free. Because of Jesus, we're no longer outsiders, we're insiders. Because of Jesus, we're no longer barren, we're fruitful. Because of Jesus, we're no longer orphans, we're sons and daughters of the king because of jesus we have a new family notice how many times paul who was a a jewish christian ethnically jewish uses family language to describe his relationship with these gentile believers he calls them children he calls them brothers and sisters he says we have the same mother Now the world would look at the Apostle Paul and say, well, he's not married. He doesn't have any children. If he has parents, they're either dead or they've broken off contact with him. He's a loser. He has nobody. What would Paul say? Not at all. Paul would say, I have the greatest, biggest, most incredible family in the history of the world because I have the church. Paul would say, my family is as interesting and diverse as the world is interesting and diverse. When you become a Christian, you become a brother or a sister or a father or a mother or an aunt or an uncle to Africans and South Americans and Middle Eastern people and Asian people and Hawaiian people and men and women and young and old and tall people like you and short people like me. It's amazing the family that we get when we become followers of Jesus Christ. In Galatians 3:26 we read for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither slave nor free there is no male or female for you are all one in Jesus Christ new history new identity New family, new destiny. According to verse 30, we have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Our inheritance is everlasting life. Our inheritance is a new world where there's no more sickness and no more death. Our inheritance is a new world where Jesus wipes away every tear from every eye. Our inheritance is a family reunion that never ends. Now, there's certainly more that I could say, but I'm going to close with Paul's closing words from chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery, My friends, we were not made to be slaves. We were made to be free. The gospel sets us free. Jesus sets us free from sin, from death, from guilt, from shame. The moment that we believe, the chains fall off and we begin to run in the path of God's commandments. We begin to run towards the sick, towards the poor, towards the broken, towards the hurting, the marginalized, and the oppressed. To the God who loved us enough to die for us. We are the children of Sarah. We are the children of the promise, the sons and daughters of God, the Father Almighty, the maker of Of heaven and earth we are no longer slaves to fear we are children of the living God let's go to him in prayer Oh Lord our God we thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ Lord we thank you that you have made us a new people a new creation And we pray, Lord God, that you would strengthen us until that great and glorious day where we see you face to face. Hear our prayers. We pray in the matchless name of Jesus, our great Savior and King. Amen.